Pastor Jim is off today, taking a much-deserved Sunday off, so we're going to hear from our own Matt Sidley today. Woohoo! You woohoo now. We'll see if you woohoo later. Good morning. Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Did everybody have a good Christmas? Right? Good Christmas? Some youth are here. Did you guys get good presents? I always used to wonder when I was younger, like... Uh, when we celebrate Jesus' birthday on Christmas, we we get gifts, not Jesus. Like, what's up with that? Every other birthday party I've ever gone to at my friend's house, we buy gifts for them. But on Jesus' birthday, for some strange reason, we are the ones that receive gifts. Interesting, is it not? So today, we have the opportunity. Jim had asked me a couple weeks ago, he's like, Matt, could you preach this Sunday? And the few times that I've preached this year, normally my go-to has been Matthew, because the middle school group, like we've been going through Matthew together, and so I just kind of pluck from there and be like, are we going to focus on this? And, and lately, as a, as a life group on Sundays, we've been going through the book of Proverbs. And so today, we are going to be looking at Proverbs uh, for the, you know, the new year, wisdom for the new year, wisdom for 2019. So my aim today is to hopefully make you a little bit wiser than you were when you first came and sat down in this chair. That's the goal. So first off, we have to kind of ask a question. What is a proverb? Does anybody know, like, can anyone give me, like, a definition? Like, what is a proverb? This is the audience participation portion right here. What's a proverb? A wise statement, right? Yeah. It's a wise statement. It's a statement that's generally been proven true through time and experience. You know, sometimes there's, there'll be clever uses of language to help you remember it. And then, you know, normally there's some kind of, you know, hidden meaning that's, or deeper meaning than just the words that are said. Can anybody think of a proverb, like off the top of their head? A penny saved is a penny earned. Wonderful. That's a great one. Thank you so much for that. A penny saved is a penny earned, right? That's a proverb. Another classic one is look before you leap, right? It's even got the play on the L's, look before you leap, you know, it's short. It's short, it's succinct, it helps you remember something, you know, because look before you leap doesn't just mean look before you jump, right? It has far-reaching implications to it, as do Proverbs. They go a little bit farther. So today, the passage that we're going to look at is Proverbs chapter 9, verses 1 through 6, Um, and that's... Kind of a lie. We're going to look at a lot more of Proverbs than just that section. But that is the portion that I'm going to ask you to stand now, if you're willing and able, and let's read it together from the screen. So Proverbs chapter 9, verses 1 through 6. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, Come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live, and walk in the way of insight. This is God's word. You may be seated. Now, you might be thinking, Matt, that uh, section we just read wasn't very proverby. Uh, you know, I was expecting something more like chapter 10, verse 1, where it says, a, a wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish son is sorrow to his mother. Like, I was expecting to hear something a little bit more like a proverb. That didn't sound so much like a proverb. And one of the things that I found very interesting 
as we've been going through Proverbs as a life group, is that there are no Proverbs in the first nine chapters of the book of Proverbs. So what is it? Why are these, why are there these nine chapters in the book of Proverbs that are not Proverbs? What's the deal? What's going on? So when we take a look at the, the, the first nine chapters, we see that there's kind of these fatherly, I, I wrote in my paper, fatherly discords. They're, they're not really a conversation. These are like, this is just fatherly instruction. Like almost every chapter starts with my son. My son, the father, the father, and, and there's references to the mother as well about not leaving your mother's teachings. There's this, this loving family that they just want to impart this wisdom to their son. It's so important. It's so dire to them in this that every chapter starts with it. Almost every chapter starts with it. In every the section, there's just sections to start with. And there's this sense of pleading. There's a sense of pleading from the father to the son. There's a sense of urgency that there's just so important. It's so important. He does not want his son to miss it. Listen to my words, my son. Don't miss it. So the bulk of these, these first nine chapters deal with the father describing two different women. On one hand, he's going to describe the lady of wisdom. And on the other hand, he's going to describe a woman that the father describes as the adulterous woman, the foreign woman, the strange woman and other not-so-nice descriptive words of this woman. In our life group, I had titled this lady, the, Our Lady of Undiscipline. And you can tell already by the names that the Father is using, there's the Lady of Wisdom and the Adulterous Woman. Which way the Father is probably leaning towards for his son? Of which woman do I want you to pursue? And so... And, and actually, we even find out in chapter, later in chapter 9, they kind of name the adulterous woman. Her name is Folly. Her name is Folly. So the father in these chapters wants to play matchmaker. What good father doesn't want to play matchmaker for their children, right? I have a six-year-old daughter, and I already play matchmaker. But my form of matchmaker isn't necessarily I'm choosing for you now. I'm already eliminating people. I'm already eliminating boys, you know, like you see people you know, like, no, nope, no, nope, not that one, you know, and it's just like, if that one comes around later, I'll scare that one away. Like, you know, I'm already, it's one of these, woof, like, because, you know, I'm looking at things kids don't think about, right? Like how, what is, what do their parents look like? What are they seeing at home? What's normal? Like, I'm looking at things like when kids want a date and it's like, they just, they're looking at the other person right in front of them. As father, I'm playing matchmaker. I'm playing matchmaker. So the father is wanting to play matchmaker. And we can guess already from the titles of which one he wants his son to choose. Which one does he want his son to pursue? So today we're going to look at this. The, we're going to be going, we're going all the way kind of from chapter one to nine. And we're going to be looking at these descriptions of these two women. And also just kind of some other kernels of wisdom and nuggets of just amazingness that the father just happens to throw in there to his son. So as we go through that. So, Proverbs chapter 1. Uh, some of the verses are going to be up in partiality, on, or in partialness, partiality, I don't know, on the screen. So if you have your Bibles and you want to follow along, that would be ideal. So we look at Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. This is, the, this is the beginning, this is the intro that the Father is giving. And he says, it starts with this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. 
the beginning of knowledge, the beginning of wisdom, the beginning of instruction starts with the fear of the Lord. Well, what does it look like to fear the Lord? Because, when, you know, when I read this, I get hung up on some of these things sometimes where I go, there's the scripture that talks about perfect love casts out fear. Like, that I don't need to be afraid. But I'm supposed to fear the Lord? Like, what does that look like? What is, what is this fear of the Lord? And, you know, this fear of the Lord is a healthy reverence and respect for the Lord. It is placing the Lord in the right point of relationship, having a right relationship with the Lord, where he is to be, he's up here. There's the reverence and respect because the Father, the Lord, is up here. So the beginning of knowledge, the beginning of wisdom, the beginning of instruction begins with this reverence and respect for the Lord. And he starts with that, and then Lady Wisdom poses a question. She asks a question to us all. And it starts in verse 22. It says, How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing, and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? Another descriptor of that word of simple ones is evil ones. How long, you evil ones, will you enjoy being evil? I don't know. For a while. I don't, you know, it's one of these, how, how long? And then if you turn at my reproof, if I call you out on this, on your evilness, and if you, I call you out on it and you turn from it, I'm going to pour out the spirit of wisdom upon you. I'm going to pour out knowledge upon you. My words are going to be known to you if you turn at my reproof. In chapter 3, there's another part that talks about this. You know, it talks about the Lord disciplines the one he loves. He disciplines them. And how do we respond? How do we respond to that? And the chapter goes on, essentially, that if you don't turn at his reproof, if you don't turn at Lady Wisdom's reproof, that there bad things happen. There are going to be everlasting consequences that go far beyond what you can imagine. So how do we respond? How do you respond? How do, this is a question I'm asking myself. I'm asking myself first and I'm asking you now. How do you respond to correction? How do you respond to discipline? When is the last time that you had someone call you out and discipline you? When's the last time you had someone call you out on your sin? And when you ask, like, the youth this question, this is an easy one. Because, like, my parents, they caught me doing this. Or, you know, it's one of the things. They have, like, the parental figures around there where it's like, man, they got caught and called out all the time. But for us as adults, who calls us out? How do we, how do we experience God's reproof? And that's one of those things where Evan mentioned that we're having a men's breakfast on the 12th, and this is just kind of a little precursor, men, I want to talk to you. I want to have a dialogue with you about what does it look like for you to be disciplined by the Lord? Because for myself, when I go like, how does the Lord discipline me? Like there's times where I read scripture and I, you know, I feel the the Holy Spirit's convicting me about something because I read that and I go, that's me. I need to change. And then I'm faced with the choice of what? Do I change? Or do I continue doing what I want to do? 
And then there are times when I have people in my life that are close enough to me to see what I'm doing and call me out on it and say, hey, that's not right. It's very important that we have people, we have relationships with people that they're close enough to us, that see our dirty sides, that can call us out on those things. And where do you get these people? I would encourage, if you're not in a life group, that you should join a life group because this is a good place to find some of these people if you don't have these people now. So we move on in chapter 2. And in chapter 2, the Father is essentially asking you, how much and how much like how much are you willing to seek for lady wisdom how much are you willing to look after her because in uh, verse 4 he talks about essentially that telling the son that son lady wisdom she is more valuable than silver and then it's talked about later in chapter 3 as well she's more valuable than silver she's more valuable than gold she's more valuable than rubies and jewels and all the hidden treasures of the world she's more valuable than anything Are you seeking after her appropriately? With this being her value, are you seeking after her appropriately? Or do we seek after wisdom like the lost sock? And its mate, its match that you have in your hand has a big hole in it. And you're kind of like, well, this one's no good anyway. There's no point in me finding the other one. It'll show up eventually. How do we seek after Lady Wisdom? And the father is urging his son, son, she is worth it. She is worth all the riches. She is worth you spending your time, effort, energy, seeking after her. And she comes with benefits from the Lord. In verse 7, it starts that he stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of injustice, excuse me, of justice, and watching over the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path, for wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech who forsake the paths of uprightness, to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil, men whose paths are crooked, and who are devious in their ways. Lady Wisdom, she's going to shield you. She's going to guard you. She's going to watch over you. She's going to help you understand righteousness and justice and equity and all the good paths. And Wisdom is going to come into your heart. And she'll watch over you and guard you and deliver you. For those who walk in integrity, for those who seek after her. And it is this relationship that the Father says that you have with Lady Wisdom that is going to help deliver you from the adulterous woman. It is this relationship with Lady Wisdom that is going to help deliver you from the adulterous woman. So the Father goes on and pleads, and pleads in chapter 3 for the Son to remember his teaching. Remember your, your, your teaching and and keep my commandments. And he's pleading, and he's pleading with them. And then in verse 3, we see here that he says, Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. 
Write them on the tablet of your heart. This comes up so many times later in chapter 7, verse 3. It's talking about writing it on the tablet of your heart. And the first one you come across, it, you go, what is that? What, is, what does it mean to write something on the tablet of my heart? And I'm like, I have an iPad. That's like a tablet, right? You know, it's like a tablet. You know, we're talking, you know, Ten Commandments etched in stone. Something that's firm, something that's steady. And it's right on the tablet of your heart. He wants you to internalize his teachings, internalize his words, memorize them. Put, have them so much inside of you internally that they seep out. Memorize them. So that they come out of you. And this is one of those things where it gets very convicting for me where I go like this. You know, I've heard in church like all the time, like, oh, you should memorize scripture. It's good for you. And I think about it over this last year, how many verses like have I committed to memory? And it's a number that I do not wish to share with you. Not so I put you to shame at how many verses I memorized this year, but a number that doesn't put me too much to the shame to share the small number with you. But how much do I memorize? There's a classic verse here even later that a lot of people choose to memorize. In verse 5 it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. Classic. Classic verse. In all my ways acknowledge the Lord. And then he goes on in verse 9 to a verse most people don't want to memorize. Honor the Lord with your wealth. And with the first fruits of all your produce. The father is just getting into some very practical, like, this is like side tangent stuff to the story of these descriptions of the two ladies. But yet very important, my son, honor the Lord with your wealth. We have an opportunity today to honor the Lord with our wealth. End of the year offering. Part of it going to the Willis family. And supporting them on mission that we have sent as a church to Guatemala. Honor the Lord with your wealth. That can be challenging, can it be not? He goes on to describe Lady Wisdom some more. In verse 16, it says, Long life is in her right hand, and in her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. The Lord, by wisdom, founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open and the clouds dropped down the dew. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom. In the next chapter, we kind of get in. I don't know if you, how many of you guys remember the uh, Got Milk campaign. Was it milk that actually put out that campaign? I don't even remember. Like, there's lots of different makers and sellers of milk. Well, cows make milk. Well, goats do. Whatever. Total side tangent. Got milk, right? You remember? I remember my favorite commercial of the whole God milk campaign was the one where, which actually more people know the answer to the question now thanks to the musical Hamilton, but the guy's sitting in his room and he has all this memorabilia of Alexander Hamilton and Aaron Burr's like battle. Like he has like the pistol in a case. He's got the bullet. He's got this big picture over his fireplace, all these books, and he's just sitting there eating this huge peanut butter and jelly sandwich. It's ginormous. And on the radio, they're like, the $1 million question today is, who shot Alexander, Alexander Hamilton? He looks around like at all his stuff, and his phone rings. And he's chewing on this big you know, bite of peanut butter and jelly sandwich, and he answers his phone. It's the guy on the radio. For $1 million in 10 seconds, can you tell us who shot Alexander Hamilton? He goes, boom, boom. 
And they go, what? And they're like, and he's like, well, we're sorry, we're cannibals. He goes, hold on, let me, go, let me get some milk. He gets, he, and he goes to pour his milk, and he's out of milk, and he doesn't have any milk. And so he kind of lets out this scream as they're like, we're sorry, time is up. He's like, oh. Does he got milk? No, he doesn't have milk. And it cost him a million dollars. He knew the answer. And in chapter 4, the, the father essentially is saying, do you got wisdom? Son, do you got wisdom? In, ch- in ch- uh, chapter 4, verse 5, he says, Get wisdom, get insight, do not forget, and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her, and she will keep you. Love her, and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. And whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly, and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. Get wisdom. Get it. At whatever cost, get it. Because she's going to keep you. She's going to guard you. She's going to exalt you. She's going to honor you. She's going to bestow on you a crown. Now a crown that will be placed on your head. But my son, do not forsake her. Do not forget. Embrace her. Prize her highly. Prize her highly. In chapter 5 is where the father gives us a little bit of a greater glimpse of the adulterous woman. And sometimes there's, there's parts in this chapter that are very much very practical, like father, son. We're talking about adultery, son. And there are other parts of it that talk about essentially what's going to happen to your life if you essentially decide to move into a relationship with the adulterous woman. If you live a life not with the lady of wisdom, but with the adulterous woman. And so we have our first description really of her in here in chapter 5, verses 3 through 4. And it says, For her, the lips of the forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. And there's a lot of like these old descriptions of these descriptions in the Old Testament that you go like this must have meant something like different back in the day because you know a woman's mouth dripping honey to me like this does not sound the most sexy or whatever like I, I just don't know. Like I imagine someone like I have a 5 month old as well. I remember I just think of this woman like drooling and it's like honey coming out of her mouth like her mouth is dripping honey. And you know and her speech is smoother than oil like you know corn oil I, you know, I don't, I don't know, and but as I was thinking about this some more, I was given this vision that essentially, as this forbidden woman, what you think is coming out of her mouth is sweet, suave. Her speech is smooth, and she's like, she's like the female version of James Bond. Sleek, suave, smooth. James Bond's a womanizer. She's a manizer, right? Bam. That's how she is. But the father says that it's not sweet. The honey from her mouth is not sweet, my son. It is bitter. It might look sweet for you to taste, and you want to taste it, but it is bitter, my son, and it leads to death. It leads to death. So he's appealing to his son. 
And then he goes into some consequences of a life lived in allegiance to the adulterous woman in verse 8. He says, keep your way far from her. Stay away from her. Do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless. Lest strangers take their fill of your strength and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. And at the end of your life, you groan when your flesh and body are consumed. My son, if you choose this woman, you're going to be giving your honor to others. Your honor is not going to be going to the appropriate place. And your years, the time that you have, are going to be going to someone that's merciless. It's merciless. Strangers are going to take the fill of your strength the strength of all your effort and all you do, other people are going to benefit from it and they're just going to take it from you. And all your labor is going to go to the house of a foreigner. It's going to go to the house of the adulterous woman. And at the end of your life, you're going to groan. Your flesh and body are going to be consumed. I think it's pretty easy to tell already which one the father wants his son to pursue. Is it not? But then he gets into some very practical advice for his son here as well. He says in verse 18, he says, Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? And this is one of those things where this just reminds me of like one of those awkward conversations that you had with your father. I don't know how many of you experienced that. Mine was before I got married with my dad, sitting at a Taco Bell, where he imparted all sorts of fatherly wisdom to me, and he drew pictures and everything on this napkin at Taco Bell. It was very awkward, but it's like my father just imparted this wisdom to me, and I'm receiving it. And essentially, the father is saying, Rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely dear grace. Let her breasts fill you. Essentially, he's saying, Son, your wife, enjoy her. Enjoy everything about her. It is all fair game. Do it. He talks about earlier, he compares essentially, there's this whole cistern reference. Like, you have your own well. Go to your well and drink from your well regularly and in abundance. Be intoxicated with her love. Let her lead you astray. You guys want around, do whatever you want. When I got married, my in-laws, you know, it's one thing getting information from your father. It's another thing getting information from your in-laws. Like, they were just like, when we got married, they were like, if it doesn't cause physical harm to, or physical or emotional harm to, you, to any one of you, it's fair game. Do it. Enjoy. And this is the father's, <laughs> thank you, Steve. This is the father's wisdom that he's imparting to his son. Now I have to get a little unromantic, a little unromantic for a minute, just to speak to the men. So women, please don't judge me for what I am about to say. He says, let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. One of the things that I have discovered over the last 10 years of marriage is that childbearing (coughs) comes at a very high price for the woman. It doesn't come at a very high price for me at all. Pretty much none. But childbearing comes at a price for me. And normally my wife would complain about this during pregnancy, right? 
Like, I have to do all this. I got the baby inside of me. It's tiring. Things are changing physiologically, and then things change afterward. And we, we experience things like for childbirth, we're like, who? No one told us about this. Like these things that can change and happen, like in my wife's body, where you go, if they had told us this up front, I don't know, maybe we just would have adopted or something. Like, you know, just because this, this is crazy. So for some, some of you young people out there are going like, Matt, what are you talking about? And so here, you know, and that's the thing. At this time, you could divorce your wife for pretty much anything. You just write her a certificate of divorce and send her away. So men, my son, when you feel like it's time to send your wife away because you want a younger model, because she has given her, her body to you, and she's given children to you, and maybe things aren't looking as good as you want it to be, and you want to upgrade, remember the wife of your youth. Rejoice in that, that she was willing to give it for you. My son. Cling to your wife as you do Lady Wisdom. Cling to her. In verse 23, it moves on. And this is the verse like, oh man, this one hits hard for me specifically. It says in 23, he dies for lack of discipline. And because of his great folly, he is led astray. How many of you would say that you are amazing at discipline? Show of hands, please. Some of you might be (laughs) not disciplining others. And you are disciplined. (laughs) And that's the thing. Some of you might be, and you're just being modest and don't want to raise your hand. But that's one of the things where this is the season. The new year is coming, and it is the season of discipline, is it not? Right? January 1 is coming, which means January 1, I'm going to the gym five days a week for at least an hour. That takes... Discipline. I gotta lose me some weight, which means I'm gonna be eating super healthy all year long, not just for like the next month, but all year long, and that's gonna take what? Discipline. This year is the year that my wife and I, we are gonna stay on budget. And that takes discipline. This is the year that I'm gonna finish my master's program and get it all done now. And I'm going to work and, you know, have, you know, family life, kids, all that stuff, and do all my homework. That takes discipline. We enter this time of discipline. And now, you know, I have three kids now at home. So there's an increased exponential, you know, my time is just constricting. And the need that I have for discipline is greater now than it ever has been in my entire life. And the father tells his son, remember... He dies for lack of discipline. Be disciplined, my son, in everything. Be disciplined. Discipline, as I'm finding out, is like a muscle. We need to use it and practice it. If we just talk about it, it's just a nice word to speak about in theory. Yes, discipline. So in chapter 6, the, the father essentially is promising his son that this is like another pr- proverb, if you play with fire, you get burnt. 
I don't even know, is that, you know, maybe that doesn't count. But essentially it's what he's telling his, his son in, in, in chapter 6, verse 27, that if you play with fire, if you put this fire in your lap, uh, adultery or even just your alignment with the adulterous woman, this lifestyle, you're going to get burnt. You are going to get burnt. You will pay the price for your actions, my son. And one thing that I've noticed as we've been going through uh, these first nine chapters of Proverbs that I've noticed about the Father is the Father is very good at looking beyond the immediate circumstances, beyond the immediate results of actions and decisions, and is looking at the end. He's looking at the end result, and he has the end result in mind. Which is convicting for myself, because how often do I look to the end result? How often do I'm th- am I thinking about the end result and the decisions that I make? and the actions that I do. How far ahead am I thinking in the game? Am I looking to the end? In chapter 7, we essentially come to the point where, you know, any son would ask this question, I would assume, your father's been imparting his fatherly wisdom to you, and there's part of you that goes, Dad, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't know what you're talking about, Dad. You have no clue what you're talking about. No clue. And so in chapter 7, he seems to address kind of this question that's not actually asked in the text, but the father is going down this road. And so he describes a picture that he's seen out his window. Out the lattice of his window, son, this is what I've seen. And we pick up here in chapter 7, verse 13. She seizes him, the adulterous woman, and kisses him. And with bold face she says to him, I had to offer sacrifices, and today I have paid my vows. Once again, that means nothing to me. Like, what are you talking about? Like, she's saying, like, I've made my sacrifices, I've made my vows, I'm clean, baby. It's like today saying, it's all right. We'll be forgiven. Let's go. Come on. So now I have come out to meet you and seek you eagerly. I found you. I want you. I want you so bad. I want you so bad. I've spread my couch with coverings, colored linens from Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Baby, this night, it's not just going to be happening in the bedroom. It's going to be spread into the couch and the living room. It's going all over the place. I've got the herbs and all the stuff. We've got everything. And you're just like, oh! you're reading this going like, this is the Bible? Like, this just doesn't sound right. Of perfumed linens. Come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let's do it. Let us delight ourselves with love. And for my husband is not at home. He is gone on a long jersey. A long jersey. <laughs> long journey. Wrong J word. He's gone on a long jersey. We're not going to get caught. He's not coming back. Let's do it. The Father knows what he's talking about. The Father knows your temptation. He knows it. He knows it. And then as he likes to look forward and he likes to look ahead, because as you're reading, there's part of you, like as you're reading through this, you go, man, this is getting steamy. Like, whew, this is the Bible. What's going on? And then in verse 22, all at once he follows her. (laughs) Why not? It was enticing, was it not? All at once he follows her, and as an ox goes to the slaughter, or as a stag is caught fast, 
till an arrow pierces its liver. As a bird rushes into a snare, he does not know that it will cost him his life. It will cost him his life. My son, listen to my words. Now in chapter 8, we come to Lady Wisdom kind of gets a little monologue going here. And we're going to pick up in verse 5. She says, O simple ones, learn prudence. O fools, learn sense. Hear, for I will speak noble things, and from my lips will come what is right. For my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are righteous. There is nothing twisted or crooked in them. They are all straight to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. Take my instruction instead of silver and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than jewels and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence and I find knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, pride and arrogance, and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. I have counsel and sound wisdom. I have insight. I have strength. By me, kings reign and rulers decree what is just. By by me, princes rule and nobles, all who govern justly. I love those who love me. And those who seek me diligently find me. Riches and honor are with me. Enduring, um, enduring wealth and righteousness, my fruit is better than gold, even fine gold, and my yield than choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness, in the paths of justice, granting an inheritance to those who love me and filling their treasuries. Lady Wisdom is pleading. Lady Wisdom is pleading herself. Not just the Father. And then in the rest of chapter 8, we, we, this picture is painted that essentially Lady Wisdom was, was born at the creation of the world. And that she was a, it says in verse 30, that she was like a master workman beside the Lord. And I don't know about you guys, in, just in my short description there of chapter 8, when I, when I read this, and in verse 22 it said, The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work. I have like a, a theological alarm in my head that starts going off. I don't know if anyone else did just from the words that I said, but if you were reading it, because I go, wait a minute, what is this, who is this created being that is present at the beginning of creation that's with God? What's going on with this? Because I know from what Scripture has told us, we know that Jesus was the Word and the Word was with God, that God was there in the beginning. Jesus was there in the beginning at creation. We know that the Spirit of God in Genesis, that He was hovering over the deeps of the waters, that the whole Trinity was there. And those are the only players that I remember being there at creation. So who or what is Lady Wisdom that is here at the beginning of creation? Is it possible that... Lady Wisdom that's been described to us from Solomon, the writer of Proverbs, is Jesus himself. But Jesus, he wouldn't be God if he was a created being. Like, So I'm hung up on this language, and as I was studying and looking at it, I go, like, wait a minute, like, how does this work? And the words that are used there, that the Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work, is the same word that was used to be described, essentially, a birth of a child. And in the Hebrew mindset, conception is when creation happened. The birth of a child, when the child comes out, is when the child is being revealed 
to parents, loved ones. So here, Lady Wisdom is not created. She is being revealed at the beginning of creation. This is when she's being revealed to the world. She's being brought forth. Paul tells in Corinthians, to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 24, he says, But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Is Jesus Lady Wisdom? Jesus says that all the Old Testament scriptures, all of them are about me. All of them point to me. I'm pretty certain that Jesus is the Lady of Wisdom that Solomon has written about for us. We come to verse 32 in chapter 8, and it says, And now, O sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways, Jesus' ways. Hear instruction and be wise, and do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. All who hate me love death. Jesus is the lady of wisdom. Jesus is the wisdom of God. And this is where, as I was kind of preparing for like our life group, where I was just like, my mind is blown. Like, wait a minute, I have to go back and look at these things again. Jesus is the lady of wisdom. And that Jesus is worth more than all the silver and all the gold and all the riches and all the rubies and all the treasures in the world. And then you start thinking about all the parables that Jesus told about the kingdom. And it's like, it's worth more than all these treasures. Jesus himself is the wisdom. He is the holder of the wisdom. Wisdom is living and alive. And then if we hold fast to her, we seek after her, Jesus is going to help us live our lives in all aspects. And he's going to help us steer clear of... This other woman, the adulterous woman, the woman of folly, he's going to help us with that. Because he is wisdom. So if Jesus is the greatest wisdom, do we pursue him to the level that we should? Do we pursue him to that level? Thinking about it kind of like the first time being in a relationship, you know, kind of... The, like your first girlfriend, first boyfriend, there's like that infatuation stage, right? Where it's like, everything is about them. Right? Where you're just kind of like, oh, like all I want to do is talk to them all the time. I just want to know everything about them. You know, I just want to be with them. So, you know, do you, I want to know everything. I want to know everything. I find myself kind of walking around their neighborhood, around the block, just hoping that, you know, they come out and we can have an interaction. And it's just, you know, it, I, I just, you're intoxicated with their love. You're intoxicated with them. Are we that way with Jesus? Are we intoxicated by Jesus' love? Do we want to speak to him? Are we talking to him regularly? Do we want to know everything about him? Are we spending time in his word? Do we find ourselves hanging out around his house? Are we here regularly on Sunday mornings? Are we participating in life groups? Are we serving? Are we using our gifts? Are we going to adult electives? Are we being generous with our wealth that he's called us to be? Are we doing all these things? Are we hanging around him? 
I find myself most times when I feel like my relationship with God is kind of stale, kind of stagnant. Jesus and I, we've been in a relationship for a long time now. It's been uh, 30 years. You know, I've been married to my wife for 10 years, but Jesus and I, we've been, we've been, we've been together for 30 years. And over those 30 years, it's one of those things that sometimes it gets stale. And one of the things that I've learned is that it's never stale because of Jesus. He brings the spice of life. I bring everything else that makes life very interesting and sours the relationship. But it's good to know, it's good to know that he is wisdom and that he wants us to be intoxicated with him. He's pursued us. He's, he's pursued us. He wants us. And I hope today that if you find yourself, like if you're in that boat where maybe you know the Lord and, you know, things are feeling a little stale, I hope that today we can rekindle that love a little bit for the next year. As we move into 2019 and New Year's resolutions and whatnot, that we can have our, our relationship with the Lord spiced up a bit. And for those of you that maybe you don't know Jesus, and this is your first time like hearing about Jesus, there's good news. And we read about it already in chapter 9. It says in verse 1 of chapter 9, Wisdom has built her house. Jesus has built his house. He's built his church. He's built his kingdom. He's working on it. And then he's hewn her seven pillars. There's seven churches that are talked about in Revelations. There's so much here that we're not unpacking all of it. And then she, he slaughtered her beasts and mixed her wine and set the table. There is a feast that God has put together, and you're invited to it. Each and every one of you, you're invited. He wants you to be there. It's so much so that he sent out the young women to call from the highest places of town. God has sent us out as his followers to be inviters of people, to invite people to the feast. And one of the things I find is interesting here is that they're invited to the feast... And they go after their message is, whoever is simple, as we learned, whoever is evil, let him turn in here. Come on in here. Evil people, we want you. We want you. To him who lacks sense, he says, come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Every week we celebrate communion here at LifePoint. We've got the, the bread and the juice. We celebrate what Jesus did on the cross through his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, that we can have new life and a right relationship with God. That he sacrificed his body and his blood and they've been invited to partake in that as well. He says, and then it, it's always, Jesus does this, he's always, and when, he, when you look at his interactions with people in, in the Gospels, he calls people to, to them. Sometimes in our mindset, it's like we want to fix people's sin first and then call them to Jesus. Jesus calls them first. He calls them first. Eat of the bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. And then he says, leave your simple ways. Leave your evil ways. And live. And that's one of those things. He's called you to, to leave your simple ways. Leave and live. So often I feel like when I talk to people sometimes that they, their view of Christianity is that we're just, we have a bunch of rules and regulations. So if you were to come here and like become a, a Christian and a church follower or a religious, whatever, that we're just going to impose a bunch of rules on you to make your life miserable. Like that's what we do. That's what church does, right? Rules, regulations, don't do this, do this, don't do that. And then boom, and we're going to have checklists. We're going to, we're going to, Jesus wants you to come to him and turn from your evil ways that you may live. 
that you may live life to the fullest. <laughs> Not that you, this other woman is the one that leads to death. The lady of wisdom Jesus leads to life. And that you walk in the way of insight. Jesus wants us to live and walk in his ways. And this is the greatest wisdom we can have. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you for this opportunity we had to look at uh, quite a bit of Proverbs. It was a lot today, Father. It was a, it's a big picture that you've painted. We thank you for your Father's wisdom, your fatherly wisdom that you have imparted to us, your children. Father, we thank you that you have loved us so much so that you're willing to give us your Son, Jesus, that you are willing to give us wisdom, that you are willing to pour out your Spirit of wisdom, you're willing to pour out your Spirit, your Holy Spirit on us, and Father, that its yield is far greater than any gold or silver or jewels. Its value is exponentially greater. Father, we thank you that you've loved us that much, that you'd be willing to do that for us. Father, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.